reading this evening is Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, and can be found on page 4 of the Church Bibles. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. much. Lynn, it's so good to be with you this evening. My name is Jack. I'm part of the staff team here at Christchurch. And I'm excited to be kind of rounding off this section of our sermon series on Genesis. We've been looking at um, the first seven days of creation and we're dipping our toes into Genesis 2. Now we're in February and then we're going to stop next week as we're going into Lent. And then after Easter, we'll come and we'll land in the rest of Genesis 2 and 3. Um, But before I begin, let me just pray. Father God, thank you for all that you say through your word. Thank you for the goodness and the truth um, that we get from reading your scripture. And I pray that as we study it this evening, uh, we would know more of who you are and more of who you have designed us to be. Amen. Awesome. I um, saw some of my cousins a few weeks ago for the first time in a little while, and one of them asked me what I was, whether I was still working for the church, what I was doing, um, and I said, yeah, I'm still working at Christ Church, and he made this little joke, he was like, oh, working for the church, that means working for one day and then resting for the other six. I said, yes, that's, that's how it works, that's how we like to do things in the Church of England, the exact opposite of what God does, that's what we like to do, isn't it? I did clarify I worked five days a week. Then my other cousin was quite concerned that I was working on a Sunday, because that's not allowed, and I had to reassure him that that was okay. Um, and then back in the day when I was training to be a teacher, there were all sorts of jokes about how much people worked and rested, I'm sure teachers, you, you know the struggle of being told that you go home at half three and you have your summer holidays all lined up and you have your half-term holidays even. Um, And I think we're just, as a culture, obsessed with work and rest, obsessed with what we have, what other people have. My brother's working a four-day week at the moment, the lucky thing. We just seem to think, gosh, what does everybody, what do you get your bank holidays off? What do you have? Oh, I have this many days. You have that many days. Um, And we're obsessed with work and rest. And so far in Um, our sermon series so far in the book of Genesis, we have seen a lot of God at work. If we can go to our next slide, please, Sarah. Um, This is what we've been looking at. If you're new, welcome to a deep dive into ancient Israelite ideas as to how the world is formed. Have a lovely time. Um, So um, in this column here, we can see that God in days one, two, and three brings form and structure to the formless. And then on days four, five, and six, God fills that form in corresponding areas, um, dealing with the formless and empty nature of creation, the tohu, the bohu. And it looks very neat and tidy in a little box, but we know that something is missing. Um, And you can probably guess what that is, because we've just read it. We're we're missing day seven in this image, and it doesn't really fit in this idea. Um, But Sarah, thank you so much. If we go to the next slide, I wonder if the best way to see it is that the first three days almost form the base of a pyramid. And then the next three days go on top of that because you can only fill what is formed. And then when you look at that, you think, gosh, there's definitely something missing here. There's there's something missing right at the top. And the thing that's missing is day seven. On day seven, God 
finishes creation. It may look complete, and he just sits down and rests. But actually, God finishes creation by creating this time of rest. And it's significant that it's, it's the seventh day. Because all through, all through this narrative, we've seen the number seven crop up again and again and again. Uh, at the beginning of Genesis 1, we see one sentence of seven Hebrew words. The next sentence is two lots of um, seven Hebrew words. That's 14, if you're thinking about it. And then here, right at, the, right at the end, we have three phrases made up of seven Hebrew words. He crowns the end of the week with this idea of creation centering around this number seven. And the reason for that, I think, is because the seventh day is first and foremost about wholeness. The seventh day is about wholeness. So the word complete and finish, sorry, Sarah, if we go to the next one, um, is in this passage quite a lot. We see the word complete, we see the word um, finished. And that word complete and finish is the Hebrew word sava. And then the word seven, which is also in this passage a lot, is the Hebrew word sheva. And those two words are written in the exact same way. They're written with the exact same four Hebrew consonants. So if you were reading this in Hebrew, which I wouldn't be able to, um, you would see those four letters crop up again and again and again. The word seven looks like the word complete or finished or whole. The seventh day is about wholeness. And I'd say this is wordplay, but it's much deeper than this. It communicates a deeper theological truth about what that wholeness means. Because if you think back to your days in primary school, it might be slightly closer to some of you than others, uh, you might remember that wholes are made up of parts. Think of your pizza slices in fractions. And so what this is saying is God has put all the parts of creation, all of those elements in that pyramid, they're all parts of a whole that are in the right place. This isn't work is good and rest is bad. This isn't work is bad and rest is good. This is work and rest have their place in God's whole, complete, created design. Work and rest have their place. There is a rhythm to the fabric of creation where work and rest interplay. And it's not just in creation. It's shown through the whole of Jewish and ancient Israelite culture not least in the fact that every seven years, the land would be made to lie fallow. They wouldn't plough or plant or work the land. They would let the soil itself rest for a year. So it's not just affecting kind of creation, it's affecting their agriculture. And then every 49 years, that's seven times seven, they would have the year of Jubilee, and slaves would be freed, debts would be forgotten, original land boundaries would be restored to the original owners. So this wholeness is affecting agriculture, it's affecting economy, but it also affects the way that these people worship. If you go to the next slide, Sarah, or the one with the triangle would be lovely. If you look along this side here, we see the beginning and the middle and the end of creation all centre around time. So firstly, God creates night and day, and that, that is mirrored then in the Jewish practice of morning and evening prayers. In the middle, we have the sun, moon, and stars, and what do they do? They govern time and seasons. That word seasons could be translated festivals, of which notably there are seven, and they're dictated by the cycles of the moon. So, and then we have day seven, the final day, another time instituted for the people of God to worship. That, that seventh day rest, that Sabbath day. The beginning, the middle, and the end of creation show something not only about how the world is made, 
where it came from, how we should live in terms of our agriculture or our economy, not who we are because of where we come from, but just the fabric of how these people worship, a framework for how they worship is built into the fabric of the universe. This is not just about the stuff around us, it's about us and what we do. The last time we were thinking about Genesis, Simon was talking about us being made in the image of God. And if we're made in the image of God, then we are designed to rule, to reign, and to rest just like him. And I think we often forget this balance of work and rest. I think we like to just work and work and work and work. And it's it's not least shown by the fact that we often use computer and machine language to describe ourselves. Uh, I'm just not wired that way, or I don't have emotional bandwidth for this. I need to reboot or recharge. I I just need to uh, refresh I feel overloaded. We think that we're machine. We think that we can just work and work and work and work. But actually, the wholeness of life that is displayed in this seventh day comes when we get this balance of work and rest. So firstly, the seventh day is about wholeness. Secondly, the second day, the seventh day, not the second day, got confused. The seventh day is holy. God blesses the seventh day and calls it holy. And if you look down at page four, um, you will find, actually page three and four, you'll need to look at both. God's already blessed two things in Genesis 1. Have a look and see if you can spot the two things that God has blessed. Shout them out if you find them. Little pop quiz. Yeah, mankind, that's one of them. So God blesses mankind and he blesses something else before that. Yeah, the birds and the fish. Yeah, so if you look in 22, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. And then again, when he creates mankind, in 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. So he blesses two fruitful things. He blesses the, the humani- humanity and he blesses um, the birds and the fish. I have no idea why he doesn't bless animals as fruitful things. I've, I've not got to grips with that. But God blesses these fruitful things. And then he institutes a time of the week, a day itself, to be holy. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Isn't it amazing that the first thing that God calls holy isn't a place or a people, but a period of time? There will be holy people and holy places and holy objects, but before anything else, God creates this time to be holy. He blesses it and calls it holy. We don't have to go to a special place or see special people or have special things. We all can give time to God. We can draw near to God and he will draw near to us. I was um, visiting my nan in hospital recently. She sadly passed away a few weeks ago. And she had this little holding cross um, that my cousin Grace had given to her. Um, And it was from Bethlehem. And it was very special to her, and it was a comfort for her to hold it. And as I was visiting my lovely nan, she'd lost it. And she was quite distressed, partly because there was already a doctor in the room trying to take blood. And she just kept saying, I've lost this cross. It's from the Holy Land. I've lost this cross. It's from the Holy Land. I need to find it. It's from the Holy Land. And she had this fixation that because this cross was from a special place, she somehow needed it. 
And she thought it was kind of lost in the sheets. And so I was tentatively kind of feeling the sheets around her, very conscious she was wearing a backless gown. So I was being very tentative, trying to, <laughs> trying to find this cross and nothing else. Um, and, and the thing is, it was, a, it was a hilarious moment in many respects. And, and I look back and I laugh because it was funny, but it was also a moment where I felt really prompted to, to say something to my nan. And what I said was this. I said... The amazing thing about the God that we believe in, the God that we worship, is that he is always close to us if we ask him to be. We don't need a special thing to get close to him because we can always ask God to be near and he'll draw near. And so, yes, this cross is from a special place and it's from a special person. It's from your your granddaughter, Grace. But that's not the way we get to God. It's a reminder that the cross is the way we get to God. Of course it is. But actually, God draws near to us when we ask him to. That's the beautiful truth of God blessing a time. We all have access to God when we want it. Um, To finish the story, I did find the cross. Inevitably, after doing that, it was just on the bedside table over there. Um, And she was very reassured by it, and she held it very close to her, and she held it, basically, for the rest of her life. But I hope that the truth, that it's not that thing that, that brought her to Jesus, but the thing that represents, held with her. Because I think the beautiful thing about this seventh day is that that's the special thing for for, for the people of God. He sets it apart as holy, and that word holy means to be set apart. He sets the seventh day apart for a purpose, to stop, to rest, to delight, and to worship. And the word Shabbat, used in Genesis 2 for rest, literally means to stop, to cease from. And I think the greatest blessing of this time is that it detaches us from our need to work to get to God. We think, or at least I think, that everything will fall apart unless we do X, Y, and Z. But, but we're called to stop as God stops. You may have noticed the structure of the days in this culture. If you, if you look down to the end of any of the days, um, or at least days one to six, it says, and there was evening and there was morning. Now, we would naturally start the day with morning. We'd start it with waking up. I've woken up, so the day starts from morning to evening. But in those times in that culture, the, 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 the days went from sundown to sundown. You, you probably know that from um, kind of Passover and how that starts on a Friday evening or, or Sabbath. That starts on a Friday evening and goes through to Saturday evening. And so the beautiful thing about the structure of the day is that that in itself is a blessing. The day starts not with work and work and work until we get the rest and reward of sleep. The day starts with sleep. It is out of that rest that we then get the reward and response of working fruitfully for God. The day starts with sleep. The week begins for the people of God with Sabbath. It ends God's week. It begins the week of the people of God. So the week doesn't begin with work and work and work and work and then rest. It begins with rest. The day begins with sleep. The week begins with Sabbath. This is grace in action. This is grace, not works. This isn't work and work and work to get to God. This is grace. So the seventh day is wholeness, the completion of creation woven into the fabric of both time and space. It's holiness set apart from the rest of the week as a time to stop, rest, delight, and worship. But it's also, and actually most importantly, it's hope. 
you'll notice that there is something missing from the end of the seventh day. If you, if you look down, it never has that phrase at the end, there was evening and there was morning. The narrative continues and, and continues into the rest of Genesis 2. Humanity was meant to dwell in the seventh day rest with God forever. But without spoiling too much of what we'll look at after Easter, we know that the reality of Genesis 2 and 3 is that humanity goes its own way, chooses to rebel against God. And actually, the nature of work and rest changes after that point. The joy of working in the garden moves to a different type of work. And this kind of work has a different Hebrew word, which has the same roots as the word slave. Suddenly, we are slaves to the land, securing and supplying our own existence. But for one day a week, by the sheer grace of God alone, the people of God don't have to work to secure their own existence. They stop, they rest, they delight, and they worship. It's a foretaste and a symbol of the hope that the whole of history and creation is heading towards an ultimate seventh-day rest. In my head, it's almost like a Venn diagram. I've got one on the screen. Um, Of the now and the not yet what's here and what will be. And in the middle, in that overlap, is Sabbath. So for the people of God who were wandering in the wilderness post the Exodus, having been released from slavery in Egypt, every week they got to get to not be wandering and working, they get to stop for one day, acting and living as if they're already over on this side, in the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, the land of abundance. For the people later on in the narrative, and for the people of God, the people in exile, for one day a week, they can stop. They don't have to be acting as if they are oppressed by a foreign power in Babylon. For one day a week, in that overlap, they can act like they're back over here in Jerusalem, back with the temple rebuilt. They can stop and look ahead to that day. And this isn't delusional, this is hopeful. And for these people, God commands it. In both Exodus and Deuteronomy, notably in the Ten Commandments in both, God commands that the Sabbath day be remembered and observed. And I've got it on the screen here. There's a a new Hebrew word here that I geek out about a little bit, um, but humor me. This is the Ten Commandments, or at least the Sabbath section of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. Note that it's quite a lot of the Ten Commandments. Some of it is like, don't murder. And then we get this. We get a huge rationale. It's 37%, apparently, of the Ten Commandments. Fun fact. And what happens is, God says on the seventh day, we Shabbat, which means to stop. Third, third row down there. We Shabbat, we stop. But the reason is this, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. And that word rested isn't Shabbat. It's not because he stopped. That word there is the word nuach. Say nuach. Lovely. That word is nuach, not ruach, which means wind or breath. Nuach, which means to settle down, to cozy up, to feel safe and secure. There's a very specific type of video that comes up on my social media that makes me cry every single time. Um, And it's usually a video of a little, you've probably seen similar ones, of of a little rabid dog kind of backed into a corner, scared, frightened, scrambling, desperate to get away from somebody who's just trying to help it. Its, it's fur is overgrown, it's got a sheen of fear over its eyes, and it's just used to fending for itself. It's been attacked, it hasn't been able to find food, it's on its own, and he, and he knows it. And the video usually is 
the initial kind of grabbing of this dog and holding him close as he yaps and bites and claws and tries to get away, because surely this can't be helped, because who would help it? And slowly, as the video goes on, the dog slowly learns that it's safe. It gets fed. Someone's provided food. It doesn't have to go, like, sniffing around bins. Somebody's given him food in a bowl. Someone's playing with him. Someone's grooming him. Slowly, the fur becomes healthier, and the dog becomes fatter, and you can see its eyes, and they're brightening. And the video usually ends with this dog in its new owner's arms, belly up, chest rising and falling, snoring, knowing that, this, that he's completely safe, knowing that he doesn't have to fend for himself, knowing that there's no attack imminent. That's Newark. That's settling in. That's settling down. That's feeling safe and secure. This is the rest that God invites the people of God into and the rest he invites us into, not just stopping, but settling in. If I was popping into Meg's house before we went somewhere else, I might sit down, but I might not take my shoes off because I know that we're about to leave. But God actually invites us to settle down, even for that moment, as if we're going to be there for ages, to take our shoes off, to put a blanket on, to put the kettle on. And imagine this said to the people of God who are almost wholly, throughout the narrative of the Old Testament, dispossessed. For one day a week, they can be like this puppy who is finally able to be a puppy again, this child that is finally able to be a child again, not fending for itself, not working to secure its own existence, not a slave to the land, not putting a tent up and down again to move to the next place, one after the other, not fearful of the oppressor, not worrying about what's coming next. For one day, a week, they can act like they're safe and secure and settled down because they're not normally even though they're wandering in the wilderness or oppressed in Babylon, they can know that they're safe in the arms of God, and so they can act like it. They don't have to act like their life depends on whatever they do. They can act for that one day like their life depends on God, because they know that to be true. And this whole thing obviously comes to culmination in Jesus, the one who brought wholeness and fulfillment to the law, the one who was and is holy, 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 the one who is our living hope. And he's the one who locks together heaven and earth. I've got another Venn diagram um, because I like them. Um, He locks together heaven and earth through what he does, through who he is, through who he was born to be, and through what he does. He institutes the kingdom of God. He shouts, the kingdom of God has come near. He is that overlap. He's the middle. He's our hope. He's the embodiment and the Lord of the Sabbath. He was the most stoppable person, the most interruptible person. He rested, he delighted, laughing and fishing with his mates, eating and drinking wine. He worshipped, praying, spending time with God, preaching and doing ministry. And when we stop and we allow ourselves to realise that we can only access this whole, holy and hopeful life through Jesus' life, bringing the kingdom of God near and his death, allowing us to be near to him we can feel safe and secure in our salvation. We can newach, but first we have to Shabbat. We can settle into it, but first we have to stop. And I'll be really honest with you, and it will come to no surprise to any of you that I'm really bad at that. I'm really bad at stopping. I'm really, really bad at letting other people do things. I'm a problem solver. I love sorting stuff out. I have to remind myself constantly that I'm not the saviour for myself, let alone other people, let alone the universe. 
And I can only really do that. I can only realize that when I stop doing the nine things that I'm trying to do simultaneously. I can only do that when I stop and realize that God is sovereign. Our society is addicted to hurry and obsessed with work. And to stop is almost an act of resistance and a liberation to allow ourselves to be free of the need to save ourselves. There's an interesting comparison to be made between the two reasons um, that God gives to observe the Sabbath in Exodus and Deuteronomy. And I've got them on the screen. Um, In Exodus, the reason is because God stopped. God stopped, so we should stop. He, He did it as an act of completion to his creation, setting it apart. Tick, it's finished. But the second reason here... Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, observe the Sabbath. The second reason given later on in Scripture is because God delivered us from slavery. So why enslave yourself again? Why work and work and work? God, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, has saved us from the need to save ourselves. Through both the exodus for the people of God in the Old Testament and through the greater exodus of God, making a way for us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Tick, it is finished. So we have access to this stuff. We have access to the middle of this Venn diagram. We can be a people of wholeness, says in Philippians 1, that that he who began a good work in us will carry it to completion It says in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says to be perfect as I am perfect. And that word is intimidating, but actually the Greek word means be whole. We can be a people of wholeness. We can be a people of holiness, set apart, just like the seventh day. And actually, if we're set apart, telling a better story, we can be a people of hope. Showing other people that actually there is a way to the Father through what Jesus has done. The seventh day is about wholeness. It is about holiness, and it is about hope. And it's about so much more than that. But the gift of it is that we can access that, and through that seventh-day rest, we can be whole, we can be holy, and we can have hope. I'm going to invite the band up. We're going to stand as we're able, and we're going to sing. And... um, As we sing, there's obviously space at the sides if you want to um, kneel or worship more freely. But there'll also obviously be people at the front here who would love to pray with you. And yes, there's, there's so much stuff to be praying for in the world. It could just be that there is something that you want God's blessing over in this next week. It might be that there's a situation that's really tricky. But those three words hit me. As I think about praying for people, firstly, it might be that you just don't feel that wholeness. It might be that you haven't got that balance of work and rest right, that it's too far tilted one way or the other. We'd love to just pray over you, pray a blessing, that God would help you restore that balance of work and rest. It might be that word about the seventh seventh day being holy, and it might just be that you need someone to pray with you that you can understand this grace, this gift, that actually God's done it all already and he gives us. This, this day is just a symbol of the grace that he gives to us. But the third, and I think the biggest, is this idea of hopelessness. It might be that you're standing over here on this side of the Venn diagram and the idea of being able to access the not yet through that overlap just feels impossible. 
And so we would love to pray for you to experience that hope, the foretaste of glory, the foretaste of being with Jesus, so that whatever is going on now can be informed by the goodness and the glory of the not yet. Shall we stand as we're able? And I'd love to just pray for us. Feel free, as I said, to make use of the space. Father God, thank you that you have freed us from the need to save ourselves. Thank you that this seventh day rest is, is just an image of that glorious truth, an image of that grace. Father God, help us to live in the light of this truth, that we don't have to work and work and work to get to you, but you are there waiting for us and you, and you lift us up. That through Jesus' life, you brought the kingdom of God near and through his death, you allow us to go near to God. Father, have your way. Have your way in our lives. Restore the balance. Bring wholeness. Father, our hearts are restless until they find its rest in thee. And I just pray over the restlessness, over the imbalance over the hopelessness of our world, but also over individuals who may be here, may be watching online, may be listening at home. Whatever it is, Father, I just pray for your wholeness to restore, for you to set them apart and to bring hope. Come, Holy Spirit.